guys, we are continuing our study in the book of Genesis. Last time we were here, remember we were talking about Abram going to rescue Lot in a great battle in a victory against four kings who defeated the five kings. Remember, it was Kedileamor along with his confederacy confiding the kings of Bera, Sodom and Gomorrah, along with their confederacy, the four kings against the five. The five kings lost. And when and remember, it was Lot who was living at this particular time in Sodom. And therefore, he was captured along with all his possessions and his family. And this made Abram. Uh, this is what energized. This is what gave Abram a reason to get involved in this particular conflict. So Abram, along with a confederacy, remember, Mamre, Eshkol, Enah, and his brothers, they got involved, and, and the, the men of Abram's house, and God gave them a great victory, and he delivered Lot along with all of the rest of the people, along with all of their possessions, and Abram delivered them against the four kings, a great battle, a great victory. Uh, one normally that men would not have won, but it is through the faithfulness of God, Abram won this battle. Okay. And that's where we last stopped off with this particular victory. And now where we are today, Abram is returning from the battle. So now let's go to Genesis chapter 14, verse 17, and see what's going on once Abram leaves the battle and is now on his way back returning home. Verse 17. Then after his return from the defeat of Keter and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. And simply we talk about the king's valley as the king's road. And that these, this is basically the way in which usually men would move along these particular, usually paid, well paved and, 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 and places uh, for travel called the King's Road. But anyway, the point that's being made simply is Abram is now returning from the battle with the defeat of Kedalemor. That's what we just told you guys earlier. He was the leader of the four kings, the great kings that defeated Sodom and those who were with him. So he comes back with him and he is met by the king of Sodom. Now, you got to remember that we said to you in the previous video, the, this is now a new king from Sodom, probably his son. But cause why? The earlier the king of Sodom died, he died in battle. So now we are met with a new king of Sodom and he is now beginning to make a request to Abram. So let's continue in the text. And here's the interesting part. Melchizedek, king of Salem brought out bread and wine. Now he was priest of God most high. He blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. Now it is, this is one of the most interesting and beautiful things that we have in the scripture and it interjects, it just absolutely destroys the narrative. And what I mean by destroy, it means that it interrupts it so completely. So remember what happens. Abram is coming back. 
he is met by the king of Sodom. Okay, and so the king of Sodom is getting ready to make to interact with Abram. But before he interact interacts with Abram, all of a sudden, this particular guy called Melchizedek is meets Abram. He interrupts everything and he begins to have something to do with it. It relates with Abraham, speaks to Abraham and says certain things to Abraham that encourages Abraham to act in a very unusual way. So therefore, we begin to ask, who is this Melchizedek? Why is he so important? And, 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 and even in a sense, even in a sense, he has a sense of greater spiritual importance than Abram himself. Now, why is this important? It's Abram, Genesis chapter 12, who is given the promises of God. Remember the promise of the seed that, 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 that we know that who will be Jesus later on. We know that. OK, and the promises of the great family and people who will later on become the Jewish people of Israel. All of these wonderful things one, who through whom the covenants and the promises and all of these things that the Apostle Paul says will be established. But even here, we have one seemingly greater than Abram himself, Melchizedek. So let's talk about that. Verse 18, Mel, the name and Melchizedek. King of Salem, his name means king of righteousness, Melchizedek. The name means king of righteousness. So one of the first things that we see concerning Abram, concern, I'm sorry, this Melchizedek is that he is a righteous man of God. And the rest of this whole thing would develop and show you that he is a righteous man of God and a worshiper of God because he relates to Abram from the, as a worshiper of God. We worship and serve the same God. But, but I'm a little premature. But Melchizedek, the name means king of righteousness. And another thing, even notice what we're seeing here. Is it a beautiful thing too? This Melchizedek is not counted from Abram. Now, what do I mean by that? He is not from the family of Abram. Or even, let me say it this way. We, we kind of say it this way. He's not Jewish. Remember, everybody that comes from Abram later on, even years now. Remember, Abram has no children. But later on down the road, when he's about 100 years old, he will have a son. Isaac, and that is the son of promise. We're not counting Ishmael. He's not of the son of promise. He is not from the Jewish people. He is not to be counted in that lineage. So therefore, we're still not the time of Abram. He's not from that family. Abram from then from Isaac, from Jacob and all of that stuff. So this Melchizedek is of a totally different family, presumably. That's what it seems. Why am I harping on this point? You would think here's what you seemingly think that as we have moved through Genesis throughout this whole book, that all of the people, peoples, because even as we have dealt with the name, names, let me go back to the very beginning of chapter 14. And, and I know we're, we're far beyond that. As we looked at the particular names of these kings, none of these names are have Hebrew meaning, which means that we have moved from the situation of the Tower of Babel. These are Gentiles. OK, these are Gentiles. Now, as we have continued through Abram, Abram, right, as we and he's now been talked about. Notice in the previous video we talked about he is called the Hebrew as we are getting ready, laying the foundation for the establishment. That's that's who Abram is. 
the father of the Jewish people. Okay. And it is through Abram, through Abram and through his people that the knowledge of God, who, who the true God is and the worship of the true God, how to worship the true God through Abram and his people that this knowledge will be maintained, preserved and kept. And that's how God will keep it. You got it. So you would seem to think that only Abram has a knowledge of the true God. And that's why I'm kind of pausing here. What a beautiful thing that God is showing in this plane. God is showing even to Abram, you are not the only person who knows the true God, who is worshiping the true God. Because notice all of a sudden, as Abram is returning from the battle with the kings, he is met by this man called Melchizedek. What does his name mean? King of righteousness. Abram, you are not the only one who knows the true God. What a wonderful and refreshing idea that God is displaying even for us, that Abraham is not the only somebody. I'm just putting it this way, guys. He ain't the only somebody saved. He ain't the only somebody who knows God, right? And, and so you would think that would be the case. But remarkably, that is not. And we see this Melchizedek, and I don't want to get so much involved in that. But later on, notice, we'll see David, who is given, David himself, who comes from the family of Abraham, Abram, okay? He will speak in Psalm, Psalm 110 and 4, that about a new priesthood, a priesthood, because you know, later on, what's going to happen? And I know I'm way off point, but let me just simply say it anyway, since I'm here. It is through Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and then we finally get what? As they come out of Egypt through Moses, God establishes a priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, through the family of Levi, through the family, that's who Moses is also a part of that family, through the family of Aaron, this priesthood that God gives, and from that priesthood is established the law, and then all of a sudden we have this word in Psalm 110 that David speaks of. And David is not from the family of Abraham. And David, and God says through David concerning one of the descendants of David. What? You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I don't even supposed to be here. And guys, you might be confused. So I got to apologize. But the whole point is, it is a reference back to this man. This same man who was not even counted from Abraham. And the whole point that we'll see in the book of Hebrews, and I surely know we're not supposed to be there, is this, this Melchizedek is counted outside the family of, um, of Aaron, that is outside of the Leviticus family, which means that he is greater, he has a greater priesthood than the priesthood of Aaron or the priesthood of those who are under the law. Now, guys, I knew I probably shouldn't have gone there and I was way off key, but the point that I'm trying to show you is the greatness of this Melchizedek, and that's the whole point that the writer of Hebrews talks about in the greatness of this Melchizedek, because what is the point? Jesus gets his priesthood from this man, from the priesthood of Melchizedek, counted greater than the priesthood of those who are under the law. That is the priesthood of Aaron, 
a priesthood from a family who has no beginning and no ending and eternal priesthood. Now, I was in actually, guys, in the book of Leviticus, but this all comes from the introduction of this Melchizedek here in Genesis 14. But let's go back. Verse number 18. So his name, King of Righteousness, and also notice he is the King of Salem. Salem is the ancient name for Jerusalem, which means peace. So he is the King of Jerusalem. Now, isn't that amazing? <laughs> this Melchizedek, once again, guys, remember, he is not from Abram. We don't know where he is from, but he is separate from him. But nevertheless, he is tied even to the ancient land of Jerusalem, the city of God. And he came to refresh Abram. And there is some sense. I, I, I don't know. I almost want to use the word worship, but I do think there's a, it, it may be a strong term, but it even sense. Notice how did he come? He brought bread and wine. Now, in the base sense, that means in the most minimal way of understanding it is to refresh him. You know, he's been in a war. He's been in a fight. He's tired. He's hungry, whatever. OK, that's cool. So he gets something to eat. But it seems that there is some of is a solemnity form of worship in the bread and the wine, you know, and even we tie this on to our Lord. We tie this on even to Exodus. I don't want to work too much into it, but don't we to Exodus chapter 12? Don't we when Jesus sits with his disciples in what we call that final Passover that Jesus had and they broke bread Take, this is my body, and then the wine, this is my blood. And notice, Jesus has a ministry. Jesus takes his ministry, that is his priesthood, again, Psalm 110, Hebrews chapter 7, even chapter 5. Jesus takes his priesthood from this Melchizedek. And this Melchizedek comes with what? Bread and wine. Later on, the very, very thing that Jesus would do with his disciples. I don't think that this is without great significance, even though I don't want to get too much into it. But isn't it interesting, the language and how it's used? He comes with bread and wine with or to Abraham, the one who has received the promises of God to worship with him, to break this unique bread with him, this Melchizedek, one who is the progenitor of Jesus himself. That sense, that sense. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, in that sense. But let's get it. Once again, he is called what? Now he was, that's Melchizedek, a priest of the most of God, most high in Hebrew, El Elyon. He is priest of the most high God. So notice he is a worshiper. He is a servant of the most high God. And he has now come to greet, to meet. And I will say to worship with Abram. What happened? Verse 19. Let's move on through. He blessed him. That is Melchizedek. Blessed Abram. And he said, blessed be Abram of God, most high possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God, most high, 
who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. So he gave him, he blessed Abram in a two part blessing. There were two aspects of the blessings. Okay. Now, and, and it's something to remember, even as the writer of Hebrews actually brought out Melchizedek blessed Abram. What's important about that? Whoever gives the blessing is the greater person. What did I say? Whoever gives the blessing is the greatest person. Now, as we have been since the end of Genesis chapter 11, the primary person that we've been talking about is Abraham, called Abram at this particular time. And we know in the text as we and now let's just simply look back in the Bible. So from our perspective in our modern times, Abraham, Abram is our father. He is the father of the faith, father of the Jewish people. He is the father of those who believe whether they are Jews or whether they are Gentiles. We learn that later on in the New Testament. Abraham is the father of us all. And the Bible always talks about the greatness of Abraham. And so we always know, we even make songs about Father Abraham. So Abraham is a great figure. But what is so wonderfully unique about this Melchizedek that I'm trying to bring your attention to is this. When they met one another or when Melchizedek went out to meet Abraham, it was Melchizedek who bestowed the blessing on Abraham, Abram. So therefore, Melchizedek, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, is actually greater than Abraham. So oftentimes we think of the greatness of Abraham. But notice, did you ever come to think there was actually one so briefly mentioned, briefly mentioned in our in the book of Genesis? He is greater than Abraham. So no matter how great we think Abraham is, it was one who was greater than him. And he was only mentioned for a brief second. And that's why we see when we get to the New Testament, it speaks of Jesus having his ministry after the order of Melchizedek. Why? Because even as Jesus is greater than Moses, he is also greater than Abraham himself. So notice the point again, enough of that. Abram, I'm sorry, Melchizedek blessed Abram. So Melchizedek is in a greater position. He is in a greater spiritual position. So therefore he is now able to pronounce this blessing on Abram with the authority of God himself. Melchizedek is doing this to Abram. All right. And so what is, and so what does he do? He blessed Abram in accordance to the name of God when he calls God the possessor of heaven and earth. That's simply the idea of God who is the creator of heaven and earth. God, the maker of all things. That's all he's saying. And then, so that's the first part of the blessing. And the second part of the blessing, he says, and, bless, and he blessed God himself. Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And so he just simply thanked God Blessed be God, because he is the one who gave you this great victory. Again, remember, guys, what happened? Abram had these four kings led by Ketelamor, defeated five kings, a, a greater army. OK, and this man was defeated by Abram and his allies with 318 men along with Abram's allies. Count. They didn't count those men. 
but it was significantly smaller. And so what is he saying? Abram, the reason why you got this great victory is simply because God gave you this great victory. So therefore, blessed be the name of the Lord. And when, when Melchizedek pronounced this blessing on Abraham, here's what I want you to see. Notice the effect that it had on Abram. Notice the effect it had on Abram. In other words, Abram, he realized the greatness of this Melchizedek, that Melchizedek is greater than he is. He is a king and he is a priest of the most high God. Abraham, even though he is given the promises, he is Abraham. Abram is not a king. Abram is not the priest of the most high God. Melchizedek is. Melchizedek is greater than he. So you can, in a sense, here's what I want you to see. Abram bowing his head in respect, in respect to this Melchizedek. Once again, it goes to prove that Melchizedek is even greater than Abram, the one who is given the promises. Okay, how do we see these things once again? I'm at the end of verse 20. He gave him a tenth of all. This is a tenth a tithing. Now, let me come in on this. I don't want to make a lot of comment on it, but the whole point is this. This shows the reverence that Abraham, the respect that he had for Melchizedek. The tenth that he gave, number one, is not a tenth of all of Abram's possession. He didn't give Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he had. He gave him a tenth of the, the, the spoils of the battle. Remember, he has come from this battle with Kirtalel Moore. So he has all of this stuff or whatever. And that is from where Abraham gave him a tenth. And again, it also goes to show you once again that Abraham had a right to all the spoils of the battle. To the victor belongs the spoils. So therefore, Abraham had a right to this. It is from this he gave a tenth to uh, Melchizedek. Isn't that an amazing thing? Ab Melchizedek hadn't done a thing. Hadn't done a thing. But nevertheless, Abram gave a tenth. Of, and you can imagine this had to be a significant amount of stuff. It had a great value to it. And he just simply gave it to him because of who he was and what he represented. Amazing. The greatness of Melchizedek that even Abram himself recognized. All right. So we see that took place. So that's what Abram did in giving him a tenth. Now, let me say, uh, make an aside, a few comments. Some people try to use this as a reason why uh, the Old Testament, even before the law, and try to use it as application for us today for tithing. And I'm not going to get into it, but I'll just simply address it that we, because Abram did this thing, that that's why we should tithe. That's not a good reason to do that. Number one, Abraham never gave a tenth of his personal income. Notice, he only gave him a tenth of the spoils of the battle. Not a tenth. So whatever Abram had, how many sheep and goats and servants and whatever, and gold and silver Abraham had at home, he did not give Melchizedek a tenth of this. So therefore, you cannot use this as a principal basis. That means a reason. For us saying, even though we're no longer under the law, that is the law of Moses, where they were commanded to give a tenth and then try to use this passage saying that 
since it's apart from the law of Moses, that means it's outside of the law of Moses. It can become a reason for us today to give a tenth a commandment, a commandment for us to give a tenth. You see what I mean? Today. So that's number one. The point that I just made is Abraham did not give a tenth of his personal earnings. He only gave a tenth of the spoils of war. Number two, number two, and I just simply say this, notice Abraham was never commanded to do so. He did it of his own will in a form of worship, respect, and appreciation to God, to this man of God, this priest of the most high God. Okay. So the point is this, Abraham's giving of the 10th was voluntarily. He didn't do it by say of commandment. So therefore you can't use this again. Once again, make the same application to us in this day because it was of his own free will. So you cannot try to command people. That is the church. That is in our time. Use this verse and try to command saying that as Abraham gave a tenth, you should give a tenth. Notice no one commanded Abraham to do anything. He did it of his own free will. So in wrapping this part up, just let me simply say we cannot use this particular scenario to try to say to us today that even as Abraham gave the tenth, we should do the same thing. So because and, and simply say it's outside of the law of Moses. So in, as we today are outside of the law of Moses, we should do the same. We cannot use this situation again. Once again, Abraham never tired of his income. He only tired of the spoils of battle. So number one, it failed there. And number two, it was never commanded Abram. He did it of his own free will. So therefore you can't command us even on this side. So you cannot use this situation. All right. Enough said with that guys. And I just want us to see that particular point. So now let's finish it. 21. The king moving from Melchizedek now to back as to the, remember the king of Sodom was coming and all of a sudden we had this Melchizedek issue interrupt everything. So now we move back to the king of Sodom and we wrap up uh, chapter 14. King of Sodom said to Abram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Let's just read it all. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high. Possessor of heaven and earth that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear. You would say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me in our Eshgar Mamre. Let them take their share. All right. So the end. Now we finally get to the king of Sodom. He comes to meet, And now this is most likely probably his son. He asked the king for, for Abram to give him the people. Now, Abram is, not an, is under no obligation to give him these people. Why? To the victor belong the spoil. So now, the people and all the stuff rightfully belong to Abram. But Abram gives it to him, right? He gives him the people as well as the spoil. And Abram simply says to the king of Sodom, not only take the people, take the spoil too, because I don't want you or anybody else saying that I have made Abraham rich. And he uses that term with reference to God, that 
God Most High. Remember when Melchizedek met him and Melchizedek preached of God Most High and he blessed him in the name of what? God Most High. You now see Abraham using this term, what? God Most High. Melchizedek has made a strong impression upon him in that worship that they just had together. But nevertheless, we simply see Abraham saying, I don't want to take anything from any of you guys. Why? Because later on down the road, you may begin to say, the reason that Abram is rich and wealthy and great among us is because of the thing he got from us. Abram said, no, if I have become wealthy or great among you, it will be because my God has done these things. All that I say concerning this stuff that I have is this. The men who were with me in my household, remember those 318 men, he said, the, the, what they have eaten, what they've eaten of the spoils, let that naturally be to that, that they earned that because they went to rescue these people. And my allies that were with me, Mamre and all of those guys, now, I can't tell them what to take of the spoil. They can take what they want. That part is up to them. And, and, and king of Sodom, you can have the rest. The rest is yours. All right, guys, thanks for joining me once again in the teaching of Genesis. Now, we know that Abram took nothing from that, but that doesn't mean that his heart is not empty. When we get into chapter 15, he'll now begin to tell God, something, Lord, isn't right. I'm missing something. I'm missing the promise you made me. So join me for the next time as we move to chapter 15. See you then, guys. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe now.